Welcome to the Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Seaver Jorgensen. Seaver is a Master's of Engineering MBA dual degree student here at the University of Virginia, and she's currently in her first year at the Darden School of Business. Seaver and I recently connected to talk more about her background, how she decided to pursue a dual degree, what her experience has been like at Darden so far, as well as a student organization focused on students with disabilities that she is helping get off the ground. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Seaver Jorgens. Seaver, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. How's everything going? Um, is your spring semester off to a good start? Good, but busy. We're two days in, so just started. And some snow uh, to welcome you into this new semester. Yeah, yesterday we uh, we did not have class at 8 a.m. We didn't have class till 10, um, but it worked out pretty well for me because it gave me time to shovel my driveway, which I needed to do. So that way I could get my car out of my garage so I come to school. So that was very convenient. Um, and my neighbor also appreciates it because I shovel his driveway as well because he can't shovel his driveway, so I do it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so appreciate you taking some time out of a busy start to, to quarter three. Uh, here. Um, and so I uh, want to talk to you a little bit more about your background before we get too far into this conversation. Tell us more about who you are. So I was born and raised in Colorado. Um, I grew up in the foothills, so in the eastern side of the state, just north of Denver. Um, and I lived in the same house from the ages of four to 18. I actually lived in the same city all the way to 18. Um, I even went to the same school from kindergarten to 12th grade, which I only mentioned because after I turned 18 and went to college, I've moved roughly every two years for the last 10 years. So just for the uh, comparison of change there that happened for me, um, I started college at Lafayette College in Eastern Pennsylvania, which is on the Philadelphia side of the state for folks who don't know. Um, and it was a great experience. I was a chemical engineering student there. Um, I really loved it, but I ultimately determined that it wasn't the right major for me. And I wanted to study biomedical engineering. Um, rather than chemical. So I transferred to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee at the two-year mark. So I did two years at Lafayette and two years at Vandy. Um, so I graduated with my bachelor's in biomedical engineering in 2018. Um, uh, and then I took my very first job in, at Epic Systems, which is the electronic health record company, not to be confused with the game developer that makes Fortnite, even though our uh, customer service team does get their phone calls sometimes and has to route them to the gaming company because that's not us. Um, folks may be familiar with Epic because they're the company that makes MyChart. So if you have ever needed to interact with MyChart for any healthcare provider, I worked for the company that makes that software. Um, and so I worked there for four years. The first three were in person in uh, Verona, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Madison in uh, South Central Wisconsin. And then, which is half of the reason that Wisconsin sounds the way that it does when I say it. Uh, my mom is also from Wisconsin. So the word was always a little Midwestern. I just became more Midwestern when I lived there. Um, the last year of working for Epic, I was what they call boost, which means I worked permanently remotely. Um, and I actually lived here in Charlottesville um, and worked from the office that I'm currently sitting in uh, for Epic for a year uh, on a hospital implementation project for somebody who is converting from one healthcare software to a new to the Epic system. 
All right. So uh, you were already local in Charlottesville uh, before you decided uh, MBA was was the right step for you. I'm curious, though, um, how did you land on an MBA? And an interesting point for our listeners, uh, Seaver is actually a dual degree student. So maybe more broadly, how did you land on your dual degree? So I actually moved to Charlottesville to go to UVA. Um, I did those three years of Epic in person. And at the end of those three years, I knew that grad school was the next step for me. Um, I initially made the decision to go pursue my master's in civil engineering to sort of full circle something in life for me. Um, When I was a little kid, everyone thought that I was going to be an architect. And the reason they thought that is for twofold. One is I used to build houses out of paper for fun like fairly intricate 3D models. Um, and as I got older, those turned into to scale house plans that I was drawing, like multi-floor house plans for fun. Um, so people assumed I would wind up, wind up an architect. Um, but my parents were like, you can be an engineer. You should be an engineer. So naturally then it was, well, then I'll be a civil engineer. Those are the things that are most closely related. Um, I wound up in biomedical engineering because in fifth grade, my father got prostate cancer and a classmate of mine also got cancer. And I sort of developed this very significant interest in medical applications for engineering. Um, but after three years of working in healthcare software, I knew that wasn't going to be long term for me. As much as I was interested in that material, I didn't see myself doing it for the rest of my career. And so I knew going back to grad school was going to be a requirement to pivot um, out of biomedical and into civil engineering, back to sort of the thing that we always assumed I would do anyway. Um, The other sort of reality for me is I knew that I would want to work for myself. Uh, My parents uh, my father founded a small, now roughly medium-sized law firm that my mother is the managing partner of. So I come from entrepreneurial stock, um, and they constantly rave about the value of an MBA. So for my entire childhood, uh, all I heard over and over again was, you should be an engineer, also you should get an MBA. Um, so when I decided to go back to grad school for civil engineering, for me it was a natural extension that I would also earn my MBA at the same time. Um, I knew I didn't want to go back to grad school twice, right? You are taking this time away from making money and being a contributing member to a company somewhere. Um, And I didn't want to take that break twice. I'd like to do it faster and more efficiently and all at the same time. Um, So there are three programs that I was able to find in the U.S. that offered a combined Master's of Engineering and Civil Engineering, which means a master's degree in engineering that does not require research as a part of your degree. Um, There are lots of programs that offer a master's of science in engineering and an MBA. That's far more common. But I wanted an ME. I wanted something where I was getting uh, hands on the ground, feet on the ground, hands in the dirt kind of experience. And I could get an MBA at an excellent business school. Um, So there were three options. One was here in Charlottesville and two were somewhere else. Um, And I wanted more sun, right? I was living in Madison, Wisconsin. And as much as I loved actually living in Madison, Wisconsin, I grew up in Colorado where we get 350 days of sun every year. So I was missing that weather. Um, And so Charlottesville just made the most sense. So I, uh, you know, uprooted my life and moved here somewhat sight unseen. I did not know anyone. It was a whole new, fresh start. Immediately, I've gotten kind of good at that in the last 10 years. Um, And then applied to UVA. And I got, I mean, it's not that I didn't work incredibly hard, right? And that 
in order to get into business school and get into engineering. But I also got really lucky that I not only got into the engineering master's program I wanted, but that I also got into business school here at Yard. Well, that's really cool. We've had other dual degree students here on the podcast. We've had law and business. So we've had uh, education and, and business, but no engineering uh, MBA dual degrees yet. I'm so excited to, ha- to have you here to be able to talk a little bit more about uh, that. So um, how did how did you sort of orient, I guess, orient your, your education, right? You, did you start at the engineering school first? Did you start here at Darden first? So I started the engineering school. And if there's anybody else considering doing this EVA, that's what you should do. Full stop. Um, do the engineering piece first. The biggest reason for that, in my perspective, is then you graduate with your Darden class. Um, and those are the people that I expect when I leave I will have the closest bond with because Darden does such a great job of building that community among the first year class. If I had done them out of order, my or in the opposite order, or sort of divided it in half and done the first year of Darden and then a year of engineering and then the second year of Darden, I would not graduate with my class at Darden. And that would be a missed opportunity to really be a part of the second year experience as it was intended to be experienced. So you started, you did a year at, at the engineering school and now you're here at Darden, um, going through your first year. Um, what has this first year been like? I know the engineering school is probably very challenging. Darden's known for being challenging. Um, tell us a little bit more about your first year here at Darden. So it's been a big shift. Um, one of the things that happened for me in the last calendar year um, is that I got confirmation that I was neurodivergent, which is not a thing that I knew before this calendar, this uh, past calendar year. In fact, I haven't known for a full year yet. We're a couple of weeks away from that date happening. Um, and part of the reason that I discovered that is coming back to grad school. Um, having left school and gotten out of the rhythm of doing school and then trying to get back into it sort of revealed some stuff that I always knew, but that I wasn't really aware of. Not everyone else experiences that. It it actually is kind of rare that you're dealing with this thing. Other people don't deal with that, um, which was super informative and actually incredibly positive in my life. Like I'm thrilled that I now know that and that I have that knowledge and can sort of build my life around it now. Um, Being in the engineering school didn't push those things as much as being in business did, right? For better or worse, I have lived a very tech heavy life up to this point on purpose, but also a little bit accidentally, right? That's the best environment for me with my particular brain and the particular way that I choose to operate. But I now know that in a really conscious, intentional way that I didn't before. Um, And Darden, the way that Darden pushed me outside of my comfort zone and put me in finance classes and strategy classes and the case method itself just helps me figure all of those things out about me, um, which will help me be way more intentional about designing my life moving forward, um, which may is definitely something that I would say Darden wants every student to have. Not everyone learns it quite as quickly as I did. <laughs> my, my sort of like roller coaster ride to figure that out was really condensed. Um, a lot of students come along that same path at their time in business school, but maybe get to do it more slowly than I did um, because they're not learning about their neurodivergence and then realizing that being in engineering actually made their life a lot easier. And now we're not in that space anymore. We got to figure out how to navigate this new space, but also 
what is it that we want long-term? What does that look like? Where is that going to land us? Um, what's the best place for me where I can really benefit the people around me while still getting to be me while I'm doing it? So armed with this knowledge about yourself, um, how did that change your approach here at Darden or how did it inform how you went about about your those first yeah. quarters of your first year? So initially, um, it just sort of like stopped me in my tracks. I was like, what do I do? Um, then it offered this opportunity to, to just start talking about it with people. Um, so one of the things that I just got done with actually doing a couple of hours ago is we are founding the Darden Disability Alliance this quarter. Um, Darden has had flavors of that effort going a long time, and there's somebody in every office of student support, faculty, uh, office of student affairs, and admissions, and career services who is, you know, happily partnered with us was so excited to see students sort of convalescing around bringing this issue um, to the forefront of what Darden does. Um, but that was an opportunity for me to start just talking about it, right? Um, I wrote up an email where I disclose um, my neurodivergence and what that means and looks like for me that gets sent to all of my faculty at the start of every quarter. Um, I sometimes send it myself when it's an elective course or uh, Shane from accounting is my section D professor organizer. Uh, he also taught us accounting in Q1. He sends that out to folks who are teaching sort of everyone in section D's in this classroom, which is really nice that I don't have to do it all the time. Um, to, because I think there's a lot of value in just being transparent about it. Um, there are, there's a perfectly valid reason that people choose not to disclose. Um, but one of the benefits of being me, which is a woman who has spent a lot of time in a male-dominated space as an engineer, but also not the person who people suspect is neurodivergent. When people meet me, that's not the first thing that they notice or realize or pick up on. It's not a thing they put a lot of mental energy into. Um, so I can take up space and like be proud and, and not have to experience the shame of that. So other people can also get to do that when it's harder for them. Um, maybe it gets in there way more or they don't have an invisible disability. They have one that's visible. So they don't get to choose who knows and doesn't know, right? I get to choose. It's my choice to get to disclose. Um, and that's been so rewarding. Those are the best friends that I'm going to have at Darden. Those are the people who I'm going to be in touch with in 30 years. Um, they're also the people who are like, you're right, that is really hard. Here's what I've been doing in order to solve for it. Because one of the hardest parts, right, is it hasn't been a full year yet. So I don't really know what I'm doing <laughs> because these things were never available to me before. So asking for them is always the first time. <laughs> um, so I've been able to make a lot of friends who've been on this journey longer than me and who can sort of guide me and point me in the right direction about what it is that I should ask for what tools it is that they found that have made them successful. Um, and we are hoping that through the Disability Alliance, we're able to sort of start building that resource for other people who come behind us who will have the same questions, whether they're people who have known for a long time and are just now in business school and navigating a new space or who are like me and got diagnosed in their late 20s. And so are now trying to figure it all out 
later, I'm, I'm not that old, but let's go with later in life with the air quotes around later. Um, so that has been just an incredible part of my garden experience so far is finding people who are on board with me figuring all of this out and being supportive of that. Um, I can be found on campus wearing a t-shirt that says, some disabilities look like this um, as a part of my ongoing uh, <laughs> attempt to reclaim that part of my identity that I previously had, right? It's not like I instantly became neurodivergent at 27. I just didn't know that it had no name and that there were things out there that could make my life easier or that I could do things intentionally that I had been doing unintentionally um, in order to make me successful. I want to stay with, with this for just a little bit longer here, uh, Seaver. Um, how did you decide from there that we need a club organization, a student group uh, focused on this? So the first two weeks were really hard. I felt really socially isolated. Part of that is because I generally tend to feel pretty socially isolated. That's just a part of me living my life as, as it is. Um, but I reached out to the Office of Student Affairs and I straight up asked, um, very specifically, like, is there anyone else? You can't tell me, right? Because it is it is a medical diagnosis. So I am allowed to disclose for myself. No one else can disclose for me. Um, but could you ask other students who you know of um, who have disclosed to you if they would be up for like getting lunch or getting coffee. Um, and the answer was sort of no, because there aren't a lot, right? Like it's not a thing that's really heavily talked about. There aren't a lot of people who are connected into this space who are operating um, in a place where they feel comfortable being sort of like out in public and talking about it. And that was the, right, the push that I needed to say, well, then I'll build the space. <laughs> Right. In a in a very classic Darden student, um, it doesn't exist. So then I'll just create it and then it will exist. <laughs> um, the other piece of that is I started looking for does it exist at other business schools? Because if it exists at other business schools, then it should exist here. Um, and the answer to that question is yes, it does exist at other business schools. And so then it's going to exist at Darden. <laughs> um, so we. I had disclosed during orientation, which was very scary. It's the first time that I had ever told anyone and I did it in front of 60 random strangers. Again, not recommending it, but it is what I did. Um, I then disclosed to people who I barely knew two weeks into class to my, what is it like 68 section mates? I think those rooms hold 70 people. Um, and out of those two choices that I made to be really public, to choose to say, this is a label that I am going to own for myself um, because I think that there's value in me doing that. Um, other people came up and shared their stories with me, right? They did not need to disclose to a group of ran 60 random strangers. That is completely unnecessary. <laughs> it's not a requirement, um, but they knew that I was up for talking about it, right? Because I had chosen to, that I'd chosen to open the door. Um, and that's how we found our, our executive board were people who had heard either about me because it, you know, it's a small group of students overall dark. It's around, plus I do walk around campus wearing a t-shirt that pretty blatantly says, feel free to talk about it. Um, or I directly spoken in front of them about it. Uh, and we sort of like built a little, 
club group of us, right? That will eventually be a student club um, to make space for this, for people like us and also people who have types of disabilities that I don't have. Um, one of the really great things about wearing the t-shirt um, and getting involved with um, the Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Office is that then students who, who came to that office seeking what I had been seeking can get pointed to me. And I can say, absolutely. Do you wanna be on this board? What position do you want? Like, let's get you involved. Please come, uh, come join us. And that's how the group sort of grew to the roughly five people that it is now um, formally. Uh, and next week, we'll have our official general interest meeting, which is the time where hopefully we will surpass the 15 benchmark that we need in order to be able to prove to be a club, or at least one of the many checkboxes. There are a variety of hoops that we are jumping through right now, <laughs> as all student clubs do. Very true. So I, another sort of follow-up question. I, I so appreciate just like you look at it, we should have this here. How did you decide though that you wanted to lead with this information, that you wanted to share this with 60 classmates, your section mates, that you really wanted to people to be be aware of this as, as part of part of your story? Because I, I, to your earlier point, like not all students are, are sharing this. So why was that important to you? Is it, it's going to sound strange for people who who don't feel this way, like it just won't make sense to you unless it does. For me, not telling people feels like lying. It also feels like I'm giving in to the shame that I'm supposed to feel about it when I I obviously don't actually feel any shame about it. Um, the other piece of that is because it's so new and I'm actively discovering and reading and learning and all this other stuff, there'd be so much of me that I would have to put on a shelf every time I leave my house and then come back to at the end of the day if I couldn't be honest and just talk about it with people. Um, and for me, that meant just ripping off the Band-Aid and doing it. Um, I would, I would in some ways argue that the fact that I did that is like kind of proof of my neurodivergence, like those things are heavily intertwined for me. Um, I was talking to my ethics professor today, one of the hallmarks of the way that I am as a person um, is that I often say the thing that everyone's thinking, but no one else is willing to say. Sometimes people really appreciate that in you. Sometimes they find it unhelpful. Um, but by being transparent with everyone about like, hey, that's probably going to happen, kind of get on board now. Or if you have a problem with it, you are welcome to avoid me because then I don't have to avoid you, um, which has not been an issue at all. I haven't really run into any of that problem at Darden, but in the broader world, that's a thing that happens. Um, just saves me a lot of grief. It makes my life so much easier to be able to, to just have that be part of me. I'm going to be able to share it with my classmates. Um, it also makes me feel more authentically me when I'm at school um, than I've probably ever felt at any of the other places that I have ever been a student or even the places that I have been an employee, um, right? Because I was still carrying all of this stuff around with me, but now that I have language for it and I can describe it and bring people along and bring them into the journey with me, I have so much more power 
in the the way that I am perceived and the way that I interact with people um, than I ever did before getting my diagnosis. Uh, the the other thing that I will note is as a we're gonna gonna do it again as a woman who is diagnosed as autistic and as an ADHDer at twenty seven. Um, generally, what I have read says women in my situation one of two things happens. They never get diagnosed. Like I would live my whole life without ever getting formally diagnosed. Or um, I would have kids at some point, most likely if they were boys, but also possible if if I had daughters. Um, if I had sons, they might get diagnosed. And as a part of them getting diagnosed, I might then start asking the questions about myself and get my diagnosis as a result of that. Um, chances that I would get diagnosed because I made it out of childhood without one are very slim on my own. Um, so my diagnosis story is actually me going and asking for it, right? Because no one else was going to ask for it. Um, I looked like I was doing fine, obviously. I got into not one, but two different master's programs at a very prestigious university. Um, I was gainfully employed. Um, I have the kind of work background that gets you into a very prestigious business school. I am tooting my own horn, but like that is the reality of the situation. One of the other positives to me being me is I'm generally very blunt. I don't mean those as brags. They're just facts. Um, it, uh, that, that I asked for it. I went to SDAP here at UVA when I got into last winter, uh, which is the Student Center for Disability uh, Access and also the Student Health Center here at UVA and the counseling group. Um, and they gave me their sort of initial 10 question survey that they asked folks who were suspecting that they might have ADHD um, or be an ADHD. The language around that one is a little tricky because grammatically it really irks me. Um, and I, she recommended that I go ask both. I had already gone into her office saying I'd like to pursue an autism diagnosis because I think that I'm autistic and I need to talk to a professional because I don't trust myself to diagnose myself. Um, Self-diagnosis in autism is very much a completely acceptable thing. Getting formally diagnosed for autism is incredibly hard to do, especially as an adult, especially as a woman. Um, I'm lucky enough to be in Charlottesville where we have a very strong medical community because we not only have the University of Virginia medical system, but we've also got a very large Centera hospital here. So I had options about getting a formal diagnosis for autism as a woman and as an adult, but that is not a thing that's really available to lots of people. Um, and so they helped me find someone in the community who could diagnose me, who was willing to diagnose me, like even sit down and, and do the steps with me and have the conversation. Um, and also who is on the student health insurance, because that matters, because it's really expensive if you have to pay out of pocket to do this. Not that it was cheap with the insurance, but it was actually possible with the insurance. Um, and so in the same way that I chose to disclose, I also chose to get diagnosed. I could have continued on in my life with all the same stuff that I'm dealing with now, but without the language to describe it or the ability to ask for accommodations um, or the understanding that I was gonna become a disability advocate in business school, which full transparency, if you told me that I was gonna be doing that a year and a half ago, I would have looked at you like you'd grown a second head 
Um, so could not have predicted that this is where my life would wind up. But I definitely love a special interest. And I definitely go full boat when I find one. So we could argue that this is the latest in a long string of those. Um, I don't think that it's an ADHD thing that I'm going to get burnt out on and I'm not going to be interested in. Um, I think this one is probably here to stay for the rest of my life. But that was a whole series of choices. Um, and because I chose to go get one and then I chose to disclose, it felt only natural that then when the space that I needed in order to feel like I could have the conversation about how do you do this? What does that look like? Um, are you also struggling to find the motivation to do your classwork? Because I'm really struggling to find the motivation to read this case because my nervous system is not motivated by importance. It's motivated by a lot of things, but importance is not and never will be one of them. Um, what's your trick for that? That we needed a group. And so I, I'm going to be the first president of the Darden Disability Alliance. Um, because my my lovely friends, because I explicitly asked them, was like, am, am I president? Is that happening here? I need you to be very clear with me that that's happening here. Um, and so that's been kind of the highlight. So getting the dual degree was sort of like the classical, always knew I was going to be an engineer. It's just a fundamental part of how my brain works. And I would argue that like it's in my soul, essentially. Um, but in some ways, Darden and business school have created and opened this like whole new door for me because if I'd just gone to get my master's in civil engineering, even though I went and asked for the diagnosis, I may never have needed to disclose because I I just I didn't need to. I didn't need accommodations in engineering school because I knew how to do that. I'd figured it out. I'd navigated that space before, but Darden was different enough that it pushed me to have to start asking the questions and start figuring out what is it that you were doing accidentally before that you need to be doing on purpose now. Um, and I found a community who was fully on board with helping me figure that out, which has been incredible. I couldn't ask for a, a better group of people. Uh, that's cool. That is quite a story. Um, thank you for, for sharing that, Siever. Um, So obviously, you know, all these things that you shared, so many highlights uh, from your first year here at Darden, uh, any classes that jump out, any any aspects of the academic experience you would want to mention here as things that you particularly enjoyed? I did not expect to like accounting as much as I did. And I also did not expect to like finance. Uh, I'm only one half of the way through the finance material, um, but I also didn't expect to like finance as much as I did. Those aren't Huge shocks. I do generally prefer the quant classes um, because I am a math nerd. Um, but that is a different way of do of dealing with numbers and doing math than what I am used to. Um, but I just found it so interesting and so engaging. I also particularly enjoy about finance that it sort of you are, you're doing the math, right? There are calculations involved in finance, um, but it is all applied through a different lens, right? It's not strictly, we get the right answer and then we move on, um, as Mark would absolutely remind all of us regularly during class. We are not 
looking for accuracy. We are looking for insight. I really enjoyed that. Um, because I don't get to do it all the time, but it's actually the place that I would prefer to hang out if I got to, cho to choose. Um, I'm not always wildly accurate, but I have some really good gut feels for things. And so I'm on board for insight. Like I can get close enough in order to make an insightful comment about something, even if I made a dumb math mistake because I was going too quickly, which is the thing that happens to me way more often than I would care to admit. <laughs> So uh, talk to us a little bit more about your career interests, because, you know, obviously you made this conscious decision to pursue a dual degree. So I'm moving here to Charlottesville. They have these two great programs. Um, how did this fit into where you wanted your career to go? And has it evolved during your time here at UVA? So when I first was in the process of applying to, to grad school, I thought that I was going to go work in real estate. And I really thought that I was going to wind up in construction that that was going to be the path for me. Um, so my civil engineering master, uh, master's degree actually has a specialization in construction management, which sort of made sense because uh, that's where I thought I was going to go work. Also, it made the easiest transition given that my undergraduate coursework is not in civil engineering, even though it's in engineering. Um, biomedical and civil have actually very little in common outside of the fact that both of those degrees end in the word engineering and some of the first year and second year classes, you take as an undergrad or the same, but otherwise they don't have a lot in common. Um, and so this past summer, I had an internship with a, with a large construction company and it was excellent in that it taught me that that's not what I want. <laughs> it was a very productive use of 10 weeks because it successfully ruled out a like, okay, that's not the right path for me. Um, and so when I came back to school, I still thought I was going to wind up in real estate. The thought being less, okay, I'm going to do construction. Maybe I'll work. I would like to work as a tr sort of a traditional civil engineer on the design side of real estate development projects. And while I still believe that I would really love that job um, through lots of networking with various professionals across sort of the broader Virginia through UVA's network, because one of the big plugs I will make for the engineering school, and in particular the civil engineering department, is that is the best engineering career services experience I have ever had, and I have had three of them. So that is saying something, because I have experienced it at a variety of institutions with a variety of different um, types and skills and locations, etc. Civil engineering at UVA has an incredible career services network. Um, that there wasn't a possibility that when I graduate with my MBA and my ME, that I could get a job working on the design side, civil engineering, because I do not already have my PE and I don't already have four to five years of civil engineering experience where I would get paid what I need to get paid to pay my mortgage and my student loans. Those are some fixed costs that I have to be able to cover so that path is not on the table because I can't afford it, essentially. Um, the other thing that I realized as I was meeting with those people and having those conversations is that tech's really where it's at for me. Um, I'm just really comfortable in those spaces. There are more people whose brains work more similarly to mine, regardless of whether or not they themselves are neurodivergent. The tech space is just one that was sort of like, in some ways, designed with my bluntness and my 
speed at which I like to process data and move in mind because a lot of the founders, as we kind of all joke, um, have some of those behavioral quirks as well. And so the entire industry sort of contains that set of behavioral quirks. Um, so I think that that's the path for me now. I think I'm going to wind up uh, back in tech as it were, right? Because that's what I was doing before I came to grad school. I was working in software. Um, the change will be instead of medical software, I'd like to work in sort of engineering design software um, or with a physical product um, and do some product management in that way. One of the things that I was most looking forward to about transitioning to civil engineering was getting to do something that wasn't always on a computer screen. <laughs> Sometimes let me go stand in the field. <laughs> um, I don't want to spend my entire life in the field. It's part of what I learned while I was in uh, construction over the summer, but I don't want to spend my entire day sitting in a chair. It makes me really restless. And I do like producing something that you can kind of touch and feel at the end of the day. That would be very cool. Um, but you never know. We'll see where it lands me. Um, this summer, I actually have a great opportunity to work. Um, I joke that it is my summer of real estate design. Um, I have a great opportunity to work with the University of Virginia Foundation, which, for folks that don't know, is the nonprofit that's associated with the University of Virginia that manages their investments, whether that's um, investments in stocks and bonds, et cetera, or more relevant to me, um, all of their real estate holdings, uh, because the University of Virginia Foundation has significant land holdings in Almora County. Um, and so I will get to be a part of that team over the summer. Um, and I actually also get to intern for them next fall, because the last little piece uh, that I have standing between me and my master's of civil engineering is an internship for credit um, over the, the Q1 and Q2 of my second year at DART. And so I'll carry that internship all the way through the beginning of next December. Well, Seaver, a couple of questions for you as we close out our conversation. Uh, anything else that you're looking forward to in the, in the coming months? Obviously, you got that internship on the horizon. Other things that you have circled? I uh, have been to 48 of the states of the United States. I have only not been to Alaska and Hawaii. Um, I have never been to Alaska, but I have a whole bunch of family who lives there, which means it's kind of funny that I've ever been to Alaska. So in May, I am finally going to visit them where they live instead of them coming to me, which is very exciting, not only because I'm really excited to get to see my family, but also because I get to check one more state off my to-do list. Um, I'm very close to getting to all 50, which is a bit of a personal goal at this point. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, piece of advice that you would share with our prospective student listeners, something for them to think about as they go forth on their own MBA journeys. So I don't know, this is okay. Feel free to cut it if it's not. I would make a plug for a book um, that I read to prepare for the Darden interview, um, which was Interview Hero by Angela Guido. Uh, as folks are probably aware if they're listening to this podcast, Darden has a unique interview that is different from every other interview you've probably ever had or ever will have. Um, and I found that book really helpful as I was trying to, to formulate my story in preparation for that interview. The other piece of advice that I would give to students is leverage your network to help read your essays. Um, just like I have been known to make a math error 
because I was moving too quickly. I will also skip a word when I'm typing something because I was moving too quickly. Um, and so while I've developed a number of things to help me find those mistakes, uh, I actually found it incredibly helpful to ask folks that I graduated from college with to read my application essays to grad school uh, because they found things that I'd missed or they, they know me well enough to make really good recommendations for, oh, I think you should use this story instead because I think it would do a better job of communicating the thing you're trying to talk about. So I would 100% recommend to leverage your network of people you went to, friends, family, all of those folks can have a really positive impact on your grad school applications. Well, two good pieces of advice there on the essay front. We always say every every good writer needs a good editor, right? Somebody uh, to read your essays and ask them if this sounds like you, if it seems aligned with who you are, um, grammatical errors, yes. Um, useful to have a second set of eyes. And then on the interview piece, um, our interviews are conversational in nature. I think most people are used to much more behavioral interviews where they sit down and just get asked all these questions. Uh, this is much more of an opportunity for a student to tell their story. So yeah, worth, worth practicing that a few times and maybe even uh, checking out our blog post or a book or two that you think might be helpful as you as you tell tell that story in an interview. You have a limited amount of time, only about 30, 35 minutes to do that. So, well, Seaver, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much um, for sharing your story here on the podcast and and good luck with the, with the disability uh, organization that you, that you started. Look forward to hearing more about that in the coming months. Thank you so much. I'm so excited, as is everybody who I told today that we would be doing this. And that was my conversation with Seaver Jorgensen, a Master's of Engineering MBA dual degree student here at the University of Virginia. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions anything you'd like for us to cover on the podcast, we're all ears. We can reach at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.